Good morning. How y'all doing? Acts 16 this morning. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for that enthusiasm. Uh, We'll be in Acts 16. Uh, If you have a copy of the scriptures, um, please join me there. If you don't, uh, there should be one located around you somewhere. Um, Page 770, 771, somewhere around there in those Bibles. By the way, uh, if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, uh, please, um, on your way out of the service today, hop into this room over here. There's a, a stack of Bibles on the welcome desks there. Please take one. It's our gift to you. Uh, we just want you to know that everything that we do comes from this, everything we say, um, or at least try, to, just everything. Um, it, it comes from this, okay, uh, from the Word of God. And so that's where we're going to be at today is Acts chapter 16. Um, join me there while you're flipping open to there, while I'm flipping open to there. Um, let me just go ahead and define something real fast. Uh, Acts uh, is all about mission, right? Just being on mission, uh, being on point with just this gospel intentionality. And so I want to, just for the sake of clarity, for all, for all of us to be on the same page, because I'm going to refer, I'm going to use a different expression a lot today to refer to the same thing. Uh, that's just because I'm not a very articulate person, and so I try to say things in different ways. But uh, when I say gospel-mindedness or being on mission or living um, uh, uh, on mission, okay, what I'm referring to um, is just this advancement of the gospel, a lifestyle that advances the gospel. Okay? It's about people. It's about being people-minded. And if the gospel uh, is Christ dying on the cross for our sins, right, for humanity's sins, Uh, Not the tree outside or the squirrel that's on it, you know. Uh, He died for people. We have a dignity. He created us with a dignity um, that that nobody else has. We were called to fill the earth, subdue it, to rule over it. Okay, he put that, gave that charge to humanity. He loves us. Okay, and so we're talking about people uh, when we refer to being on mission. Okay, so being mission-minded, being, uh, having this gospel priority where gospel is number one and then it consumes everything under that. Right, every other aspect of your life, gospel is number one, and it consumes everything else. It's the reason you do stuff. Okay, so let's just be on the same page as we jump into that Acts sixteen. Uh, I'll go ahead and read the first five verses. We're probably not going to get much out of uh, first three today. We're just going to look at the first three verses. Um, so open with me, with me if you would. First five verses here, verse one. Paul came to Derby. And then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother uh, was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Uh, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him uh, because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, um, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And so the... So the churches were strengthened uh, in faith and grew daily uh, in numbers. And that's just a nice kind of reminding verse that the force of the gospel can't be stopped. You know, it's, it, it is solid. It is moving. It can't be uh, thwarted or stopped. And even when you try to stop the gospel, God's going to grow and strengthen his church, even in the midst of that. Okay, so that's just kind of a nice reminder uh, thrown in there. <clears throat> but in Acts... Okay, we see this character come onto the scene. His name's Timothy. And uh, if you don't know who Timothy is, he's a pretty prominent figure in the New Testament. Uh, Timothy was uh, uh, Paul's protege, 
Okay, uh, Paul refers to him as his true son uh, in the faith. There was this bond, there was this relationship, uh, this godly, intimate relationship between Paul and Timothy, father and son-like. Okay, it, it was deep. So they had this relationship. And Timothy, um, at this time, when we see him here in 16, is probably, you know, a 16, 17-year-old boy, right? He goes on mission. God does a bunch of work to get him on mission with Paul. And he goes on mission with Paul. He's submissive to Paul. This is just one of his uh, uh, parts of his character. If Paul told him to go, he went. If Paul told him to stay, he stayed. Uh, he, just, he just had that attitude. He had that character to him. Okay? Uh, Timothy and Paul, they have this long-lasting relationship all the way to the point of Paul's death, uh, which before Paul died, he wrote Timothy a few letters encouraging him in his ministry. That's where we get First and Second Timothy, the epistles um, in, in the New Testament. Okay, and then Timothy is kind of known after that for his work, his service uh, in the church of Ephesus. Okay, and it's actually there where Timothy himself is, um, according to tradition, stoned to death uh, because he stood uh, on truth amidst just kind of pagan worship and stuff. So Timothy is a pretty prominent character. Okay, but it all started in Acts 16 when he's just this, this, this mama's boy. You know what I mean? He, he was just this kid living at home. Um, he, he didn't have a father. His father was dead at this time. And so he was just at home in this receptive mode of his faith probably just, just there, right? And then God does all this work and thrusts him into just this mission, missional life, right? It no longer becomes about receiving, but it comes about giving and serving and that kind of stuff, okay? So that's, that's where we're at. And what we're looking at today is how God worked uh, to get him from where he was into what he became, right? What did God do there, okay? Um, There was a camp pastor that we had um, this past year uh, at Student Life Camp. His name was Tony uh, Merida, and he kind of summed up just kind of this missional living this way. He said it's not really much more complicated than ordinary people doing ordinary things with the gospel intentionality, okay? Um, He used the story of these people who just wanted to do something on behalf of the gospel. And so all they did is they prayed, and then they just went to the streets throwing a football around. That's all they did. They just went to a broken part of the neighborhood, started throwing a football, and all of a sudden kids just started pouring out of their homes. And so they just had this little, little experience, almost like a day camp kind of thing, where all they were doing is a very ordinary thing. And they were just ordinary people. But it was with such a gospel intentionality that people's lives were changed. Right? Isn't that awesome? That's, that's, that's just well, the context of where he spoke that out. But I believe that God does a work to get people from this ordinary place of life into this missional life. Right? I know a lot of ordinary people. I know a lot of ordinary believers. Right? Who do all of the ordinary things. All the things that you would expect. And they use the Christian tagline under it, you know, to, to give it a good feel. But the reality is, is that the reason they're doing that stuff has nothing to do with the gospel. God does a work to put us into that lifestyle, to put us into that mindset, right? Maybe you're here today and you legitimately feel like God is maybe calling you into a full-time experience of ministry or mission or something like that. This, this is for you. This, God does the same thing in, in that kind of work. Or maybe you're here today and you're just kind of at this plateaued level of faith. You feel like you leveled off. You don't really know what's next, uh, I've been there, I can give witness to that, and 99% of the time, I'll just be honest, most of the time that's sin in my life that's just keeping me from receiving from God, okay? Um, but we feel like we plateau, we feel like we just kind of fall into this, you know, we get 
bored with just receiving and growing and knowing when God really has, what God has for you is, is living out. It's serving, it's pushing forward, it's pressing into this missional mindedness, it's living with a gospel intentionality. So what does God do to take pers- a person from that? What did God use to take Timothy from where he was uh, and, and turn him into what he became? It's kind of what we're looking at today. It's not an all-inclusive list, uh, but there are things that we can pull out of just these few verses regarding Timothy that can help us, I think, as we look at how God's working in our own lives and what he might be calling us to. Okay? And the first thing that I want to just point out uh, in, in chapter 16 is that Timothy is referred to as a disciple. Okay? Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived. Timothy was a disciple. Okay, this is, he was a follower of Christ, he, he seeked after Christ, he knew Christ, um, God, somehow in this whole thing, uh, God had changed his life, okay, there was a level of obedience and submission to this man, he was a follower of Christ, he was submissive, okay, uh, that's kind of the first thing here, if you're a note taker, that's the first thing, he was submissive, he was obedient, he was faithful. Okay, that's a, just a one word, okay, but you, we see this deeper. If you want to take your Bibles and flip to the right to 2 Timothy, we're actually going to look at one of these letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And this is in check, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. <coughs> Excuse me. He says in verse 10, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, Faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from being bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know that from, uh, you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith in Christ Jesus. All of scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the sermon of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, We say it a lot around here and almost to the point of annoyance uh, that you cannot pursue Christ fully, you cannot be obedient to him fully, faithful to him fully, apart from the word of God. It is the word of God. These are the God-breathed words to you. He, he filled these words on these pages uh, to, to resonate with us, his people. You cannot pursue him fully if you are living apart from this. And this was a part of Timothy's life from infancy, okay? Not necessarily because of his obedience, all the way, right? Uh, I, no one-year-old, you know, actively picks up the Bible and reads it for their own sake. You know, uh, people were pouring this into him, right? And eventually it became his own. And, and in his obedience and in his submissiveness to the word, it became a part of his faithfulness to God. So the word was active, okay? We see this played out. We see this faithfulness, this, this submission played out when we look at his immediate experience here. In verse 3, back in Acts chapter 16. In verse 3, it says that Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him, okay, because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Circumcised him, okay, that's uh, 
uh, that's just two weeks ago. Uh, Pastor Brett uh, led us um, into in Acts chapter 15 when Paul and Barnabas were ready to fight over this issue. Remember that? Uh, they come to strong disagreements, strong words against people who were preaching actually that you had to be circumcised to follow Jesus. Right? Praise God this isn't the case these days. But like they, they, they were actually preaching that. Right? And Paul and Barnabas get so mad because, because Jesus fulfilled the law, right? And we don't have to do these, um, these surface level things to somehow earn any favor with God. We don't have to do that. So why in the world would Paul circumcise Timothy? Right? Why would that be the case? Why would it matter? Well, Timothy, being called on mission, and, and with us believing that why you do things is more important than what you do, Timothy was not doing this under compulsion. He was not doing this because he was forced to. He was doing it so that he could have the widest opportunity to minister to Jewish people, right? Because in their minds, being, being so consumed by image, right, um, that just the fact that him not being circumcised would, would block his witness to them. And so as a grown man, or at least as a, as a really uh, late teened guy, uh, to, to, to go to that level, right, Timothy mutilated his own body for the sake of the gospel. All right, that, that, that's, that's his call. That was part of his call, and he went there so that he could have the full opportunity of preaching the gospel. Okay, that's the same thing that Paul preaches in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians when he's talking about um, being all things to all people, right? First Corinthians 9, to the Jews I became a Jew so I can win some Jews. To the weak I became weak so I can win some of the weak. I became all things to all people so that I might save some, right? The general idea is this, if it's not sinful, it's game for the gospel. You have so much that God has given you to use for the gospel, and if it's not sinful, use it, okay? Um, don't get hung up about, um, you know, these surface-level things that, uh, you know, we, we can be so staunch on and in turn probably never even actually live out the gospel, rather just kind of hold firm and argue about that thing with other believers, you know, when we could be using what God has given us to preach the gospel, okay? <clears throat> so that's kind of the first thing, and, and it continues out, by the way. Uh, Timothy is ordained. Uh, he's equipped for ministry. Uh, there's this scenario where he's actually ordained into ministry, and, and all of the elders are kind of praying over him. And uh, they even say, uh, speak some just strong words, even some prophecy about the ministry that he will have. Uh, he's gifted uh, in the spirit to fulfill this ministry, right? He's all in. And if there is, was ever an epidemic among our young men these days, uh, it's the failure to be all in with something, Right? commitment. Uh, people run away from that with all their hearts for some reason. They're in for, for a moment of pleasure and then they're gone, right? And people all over struggle with this for sure. Uh, but to our young people, commit. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And, and let him guide those decisions, okay? This is virtuous, okay? So there's another aspect of, of the work that God did in Timothy's life. He was faithful, okay? He was obedient, uh, it was a marked who he was, but God also used trial in Timothy's life uh, to bring him from where he was to what he became. Okay, trial, pain, suffering, hardship. God used these things. If you just look back again at the first three verses, it says that Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra. Okay, already we see some trial here. 
okay? Uh, we didn't talk about it necessarily, but if you flipped back a page to Acts chapter 14, you can read an account where Paul goes to Lystra for the first time. This is Timothy's hometown. And Paul and Barnabas go to Lystra. They heal a lame man. And then all the people in Lystra are like, you guys must be gods. So Paul, you're Hermes, right? And Barnabas, you're Zeus. And, we're gonna, and we think that you guys are gods in human form. And so we're going to try to kill you to send you back to your glorified state. Okay, so they try to, they, they try to stone them, to sacrifice them. Okay, and then the Jews who are not believers, who hate Paul and Barnabas and the mission that they're on, catch up with them as well. And somehow they're able to rally the crowd and they stone Paul until he's dead. And they thought he was dead. He's not dead. But they stone him until they thought he was dead. And then they throw him outside of the city. Okay, that's Lystra. The disciples come and get him and he goes back into the city for a day, which is crazy. Um, You know, gets his health back and then leaves the city. But like... That was Lystra, okay? And if you just remember what we just read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, you know my teaching, you know everything I'm about, you know who I am in the fullest, you even know my persecutions, how I was persecuted in Antioch, in Iconium, and in Lystra. So I don't know if Timothy just saw this whole scene. I don't know if he, if he witnessed this, like, in person. And I don't know if Paul just told him about it, but I know that it helped Timothy's decision to go on mission with Paul, right? Paul was not just some nobody on a purposeless mission. Paul had a resume, and it it consisted mostly of pain and struggle and trial on behalf of Christ. And through that, somehow, grace was amplified, and Timothy saw that, and he jumped in. Okay, God used trial. Um, Not just in that matter, though. If you just look at Timothy's own life, right? His mother was a Jewish believer, his father was a Greek. And if we've learned anything about the Jewish culture at this point, uh, and, and the fact that they really saw every other race as not clean or, or impure, then you've got to believe that his mother probably experienced um, some adversity because of this relationship she was in. Right? She probably experienced racism and um, uh, animosity in ways I've never known, for sure. Just because, of she, just because she was married to a Greek. Not only that, the scripture seems to imply that he was gone. He was deceased. He was a Greek. That's like me saying I was a Caucasian. Like that doesn't happen unless you die. You know what I mean? That, that's just who you are. So he was a Greek and so he's gone. He's not with him. Timothy knew fatherlessness. He knew fatherlessness. All right? Another epidemic these days. And peop- it's not because fathers are dying. It's just because they're quitting. Right? They're just running away. Timothy knew the feelings of growing up as a young man without a father. In a lot of ways, Paul filled that role for him. Okay? He had trial. He had a strong witness. And he wasn't addicted to heroin when he was a kid. And he didn't try to kill somebody. But he had a strong testimony. Right? If you're here this morning and you got saved when you were seven years old because your parents were faithful to God, don't feel bad about that. You grew up in church your whole life because, because God uh, used the people in your life uh, uh, to do that. Every parent in here is trying to do that. Don't feel bad if that was your story. And I guarantee you, if you need trial to witness to people, you're, you're going to have a life of it. Because you're a human being and you exist in this world that is imperfect. God has equipped you, regardless of your past, regardless of where you come from, bad or not so bad, he has equipped you to do the work of the gospel. 
that was Timothy. He had trial in his life. He had a lot. Even if you look back just the previous chapter before 16, which is just cool to know, at the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas were tight, right? They were on mission together. They were tight. They just went through a whole missionary journey together, right? And they come to a disagreement about the next man that they're going to bring with them, John Mark, right? Barnabas is like, we need to take this guy. And Paul's like, no. And they come to a strong disagreement, maybe even uh, fighting words, and they split. These are two very strong, solid men in the faith, and they split, right? Barnabas and John Mark uh, go back onto the, to, onto the mission journey like they were going to. Paul and Silas are rerouted, now with the open slot, and God reroutes them so that they will meet Timothy. God created this whole experience for Timothy. God, God did all of this. And I'm not saying he, he, he caused sin or anything like that. I'm just saying he used everything, good and bad, to make this happen. He used it. He worked in that way. He can restore bad situations. He can use them. Okay? By the way, if you're here, um, I firmly believe that we can all connect with this level of trial. Okay, if you're here and you feel like you have nothing wrong in your life, I think you're mistaken. Right? In, first, uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says that he was in prison, you know, and he had this thorn in his flesh. He calls it a messenger from Satan. Okay? People who study the Bible don't necessarily, uh, can't, can't fully decide if this was a literal thorn in his flesh that was very painful, or if there was a literal spirit there tormenting him from Satan, uh, discouraging him. Uh, kind of just tormenting his mind. People don't, people don't really know. And, and my guess is as much work as he was doing on behalf of the gospel, it, was, it, it could have been a combination of both. He was also going blind. Uh, he also probably had wounds still open from being flogged one of the you know, millions of times he had been flogged on behalf of Christ. He was just a broken person. And he prayed for God, heal me, heal me. Uh, he pleaded with God, take this away from me. And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That's Jesus' response to him. Okay, and, and I know that there are people in here who know struggle, but let me just say this. I believe that trial amplifies grace. If you are in Christ and maybe in the right amount of time, trial can amplify grace. Mike and Teresa Harmon know exactly what I'm talking about today. Grace is amplified. Many of you know this experience. And by the way, I'm not going to lead with this if you're struggling with something, you know. Oh, a bad thing happened to you. Well, it's okay, you know, just deal with it because, you know, God's got other people in mind through this. And, you know, may, maybe, I guess, but that's, you know, that's not necessarily the most comforting thing to hear at first. But trials are part of our lives, and I firmly believe that we all have thorns. You're all people. We are all people. We all have thorns. And here's the reality. If you are in Christ and in time, God can use every single one of those to work on behalf of the gospel. Uh, I would even go on to say that once that thing has existed in your life and it's a part of you, it might be the purpose of it at that point in time to share the gospel. Okay? It's what God used to bring Timothy from where he was into what he became. So you have trial. Lastly, you see the work of God's people. Okay? Uh, in verse 1, once again, actually, let's jump to two. The believers, actually, sorry, let's, let's look at, back at verse one. Uh, there was a disciple named Timothy. His mother was Jewish and a believer. 
Okay, so he had some family structure, some faith in his family structure uh, that was able to be poured into him. Okay, not only that, it says in verse 2 that the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Okay, so he had the witness of people uh, around him vouching for this man that he was on point with Christ, that he was pursuing after Christ. Uh, That's really good. Uh, If you look at... 2 Timothy uh, verse 3, we won't go ahead and necessarily jump there, uh, but remember that we we read that, and and he had the scriptures in him from infancy because of faithful people in his life that poured that into him. Uh, In 2 Timothy 1, we read that uh, uh, Paul Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, he's talking to Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. So God definitely used Timothy's family and just the structure of that and just this faith uh, of, of, his, of his family to just pour it into it, almost like it was inherited, right? He just, he just had that, and that's just a blessing, right? I know there's a lot of people in here that don't have that, and God has still restored you, and that's just more, more, more just a testament of what God can do. But God uses, he can use family structure to establish faith in people, right? He used the witness of people around to speak well of Timothy. So Paul was like, who is this kid and can he come with me? All of these believers are speaking well of him, right? Reputation is important. Paul also told Timothy in the epistles uh, of Timothy that, that a good reputation among outsiders is actually um, important for being an overseer in the church. So your reputation is important, right? To everybody, but especially to believers. And this doesn't mean like, Go out and be the best you can be and make as much money as possible so you can have that kind of reputation. Okay? This means, are there anybody, is there anybody in your life that is speaking well of the people who are most influencing you? Okay? Um, I saw my, eye, my, my mom's eyes roll up in her head like, what does that mean? So I'll try to rephrase that. Okay? Um, uh, think about the people who have the most influence in your life, in your actions, okay, uh, if you are in a dating relationship or if you're just, you know, tied at the hip with one of your best friends, think about people in your life who have most sway in how you do what you do. Are there believers who love and care for you that can vouch for them in their pursuit of Christ? Because if you're the only one vouching for them, that might be a red flag. Does that make sense? If you're the only one vouching for them, that might be a red flag. Are there believers in their own world that are speaking well of them and can assure you that, yeah, they, they love Jesus, they're on the point, they're, they, you know, they, they struggle sometimes. Is there anybody vouching for the people that most sway your decisions? Okay, that's what we're talking about with this reputation. We're not talking about gossip or passive-aggressive behavior on Facebook. We're talking about can people vouch for the Christ-like, the pursuit of Christ-like character than the people that most uh, have sway in your, in your life, okay? Um, God also used one man in a way that he didn't use anybody else. He used Paul. Paul filled a father, a father role to Timothy, um, not only just in life, but also in the faith, okay? Um, he, 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 he calls him his true son uh, in the faith, his co-worker, my son whom I love, he says of Timothy, there's this bond there. Uh, God didn't use anybody for Timothy as much as he used Paul for Timothy. And I'm grateful for my life that I, can, that I have this, 
Okay, I think this is something that God creates, and I'm grateful for the home I lived in because I had that. Okay, and my parents, especially my dad, if we're talking about father and son, okay, I had that, and I'm grateful for the faithfulness that they, that they had towards Christ to, to bring us up in that way and to call me out when nobody else would and to know me at a level that nobody else does uh, to encourage me in the faith and in the work of the ministry. I also had a man who saw a college-age student who just was a dweeb and, and you know, just kind of just loose in what he was trying to do, right? He saw me and he said, for whatever reason, that guy has ministry potential. Nobody saw it. Maybe some people saw it, but, like, he, 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 he threw it. He went all in with me. Everything he had was mine. He, he, he gave me everything, total access to everything about him. I would not be here if it were not for people like him and people like my parents. I would not be here for that without that. Okay? And you should be praying for people in your life like this. If you don't have that Paul in your life that's, that's speaking to you in the most honest ways, pray that God would, would, would reveal that person to you and submerse yourself in Christian community because that's where he's going to reveal it. Right? If you feel like you're a Paul and you're waiting to jump down on somebody, don't wait for them to come knocking at your door. You do the same thing too. If you're looking for somebody to pour into, right, God's going to create that relationship. You pray about it and you give yourself over to Christian community and let him create that relationship. Okay, we all need this. Paul used, sorry, God used his people. He used obedience, right? He used faithfulness. He used all these things. He used trial. Okay, if I may just speak a little bit <clears throat> more candidly just about my experience. Okay, there was a guy um, a while ago. His name was Noah Beadle. Um, Noah, he was actually the guy singing very off-key in that little, um, you know, bumper video as I walked up here, all dramatic-like and stuff. You know, he, that, was, that was him. That was Noah. And Noah and his wife were singing there. And Noah, even though he lived kind of his later parts in life full-on in mission, um, he started as just this drunken, nomadic kind of man. Crazy. It got to the point where at one point in time he, 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 he drunk himself to just kind of this stupor and he, he got in this argument with this person and he put a gun to their head, pulled the trigger, but it misfired. And it just wrecked him as it would, right, what in the world. So he continued to drink and all that kind of stuff and he found himself drunken. He found himself drunken, uh, walking into a church at one point in time where God used a man to just speak truth into his life. While he was drunk, he gives, him life, his, he gives his life to Christ. Um, and, and whether you believe it or not, you know, God, God used this as scenario to bring this man to Christ. And this man told him, he said, as soon as you wake up the next day, the, the evil is going to be trying to convince you out of this. He got up the next day, and he's talking to his wife, I believe, and he just starts talking about how, you know, listen to this silly thing I did last night. I walked into church and blah, 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 and immediately what that pastor said just resonated with him. He's like, I'm talking myself out of this. From that point on, he, he, he sold out for ministry. He becomes a preacher. He becomes a pastor uh, in Linton, Indiana for, for years before he dies, okay? One aspect about this man, Noah, is that he was just very prayerful, on behalf of his family, very prayerful, prayed for the generations that he hadn't even met yet, prayed for their future spouses um, that they would meet and, and all of that kind of stuff. He was just a very prayerful person. And so I think it definitely played a key. He had a daughter named Ruby 
Ruby was kind of wild too at the beginning. And she gave her life to Christ at some point in time. She had a daughter named Kay. And Kay, if you want to talk about trial, she struggled her entire life with, with what you would call, I guess, just, just feminine issues. Uh, they eventually took her life in, in her young 40s. But I don't know if she just saw kind of the need in the home or what, but she started pouring into her niece. She just started pouring into her niece. She took her, took her to church. She, uh, she just kind of shared life with her, right? And her niece uh, accepted Christ. <clears throat> so there's this family dinner. Noah's there. Uh, maybe some of the other ones are there. Uh, and, and Noah is there with his great-granddaughter now, right? Kay's niece. And Kay's niece brings her boyfriend, right, just some dweeb from Purdue um, trying to just, you know, make it life. But God knew that he was, God, God was working in his life, right? And, and so they're praying. It's around Thanksgiving time. And for whatever re- reason, Noah sees his great-granddaughter's boyfriend and just feels led to just start praying for this kid. And the kid is broken, and he's weeping, and he gives his life to Christ, at just a family dinner, right? And so those two people get married, and, and they start having kids, and it's really cool. Um, and then uh, they have three kids, but they're two youngest. They get this diagnosis when they're just toddlers. Uh, a doctor tells them that their two youngest kids have cystic fibrosis, which, if you're a parent, is super, super scary news. If you just look at the statistics, look at how it affects most kids, right? That's terrifying and if you haven't caught on yet me and my sister are the kids that were diagnosed with cystic fibrosis and we're healthy so we praise God for that that we're still kicking you know and we're still alive and 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 everything is fine and God has been a part of our lives and has just kept us alive you know and just been giving us health so we're grateful for that but talk about trial right to get that news you parents out there to get that news about your kid Talk about trial for, for us as we constantly remind ourselves of 2 Corinthians 12 about thorns in the flesh and how we have trials and God can use these things for, for you know, to, to make perfect his power and weakness, right? And I can, I, I can honestly say that I'm somewhat grateful even for some of these trials because if it were not for my issues, my genetic issues that keep me from having biological kids, I wouldn't be able to know the three kids that are living in our home now being able to pour into their lives, fatherless kids, parentless kids, broken kids, I'm I'm able to just pour into, and God did all that work, right? If you believe that you are here and that God has not done something amazing in your life to get you here, then you're wrong. God has done so much stuff you don't even know about. He's used so many people that you have probably not even met to get you here, and he wants to continue that work to get you deeper into living for people because the idea is that your story, your faith is not yours. It was meant to be shared. How selfish would I be to keep all that to myself? God has put all of these things, he's orchestrated all this stuff, right, for his glory, for the advancement of the gospel. It starts at obedience, though. It starts at obedience, not because of me, but because all the obedient people around me Right? I, I felt like God uh, needed a backup. I, I felt like I needed a backup plan the whole time God was calling me into ministry. And it took years of him just slapping me in the face with people, God's people, telling me truth. Right? So that I'd finally submit and give in to that. 
Okay? That's the work that he does. And I'm telling you, you, you will not know everybody um, that is impacted by your story. But I will tell you this. If you're not telling it, nobody will be impacted. God will not be able to use your story for people if you are not sharing your faith. Your story is not yours. It's his. Let's pray. Gracious God, we just humbled by the way you work, by what you do, the way you bring your people to yourself, the way you draw us in. God, we ask that you continue this work as we pursue just a deeper walk with you, God, that we would not be so focused on our own ordinary things to forget to live with a gospel intentionality that is fully focused on people. So God, for anybody in here today uh, who has been resisting a clear call from you to to ministry or to, to mission life, God, I just pray, I pray that you just bring them to the place of committal and just giving themselves all into you. you. We know that you don't need a backup plan. God, if there's anybody here who just feels like they've leveled out, uh, God, maybe they've just been in receiving mode this whole time in their faith and they've not been living out for people. God, I pray that you just push us into that, press us into that kind of living. God, where, where your gospel is priority and that it consumes everything else under it. God, maybe there's some people in here, they don't even, this is brand new to them. Uh, they just know that, you, that you've, they, they've sensed you working in their lives to get them to this point. And, and what you want for them is to just give their lives to you, finally submit to you in obedience. Just, just give their lives to you so that you can refresh them. God, uh, renew them in your spirit, restore them. In, uh, in Christ, God, and that they may begin to build on their story so that they may use it, others, uh, use it for others for the advancement of the gospel. God, we commit all these things to you. We ask that you just work in a wonderful way through your word. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.